Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are in the world. This is England is Burning for Friday, 12 March 2021. This is a special episode, a special pod video cast today for you from the ATL, where we're beginning the spring thaw from something that really didn't need to be thawed out to begin with. But here we are in the springtime. And we have a special, as I said, we are doing a Conti Cup final special. I've been wanting to do this since this final matchup had been uh, put together between Bristol City and Chelsea coming up on Sunday. And I I, I wanted uh, somebody from the Bristol City Vixen cast to be on with us, to join us with Rob, our our feature person for Chelsea. And finally, we had the opportunity DM from the Vixen City or Bristol City Vixen cast is with us this afternoon, this evening. Welcome DM, welcome to England is Burning. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, Keith. Thanks for having me on. I'm really delighted to be uh, waving the flag for Team Vixen Cast this evening. Absolutely. And you're waving it uh, mostly in the United States. <laughs> so most of our viewers and, and listeners to this program are, are in the U.S., uh, and, and but they're all scattered all over the place, as I'm sure your show is uh, has is scattered in terms of listeners and all over the all over the map rob thank you for coming back you're from the cfcw social senior editor rob thank you welcome back to the program uh, lovely to always be back and again great to see our friends uh, from the vixen class sort of on here as well thank you hi rob uh, all right so dm i, I want to start with you um because you know i, I, I mean rob forgive me we know all about chelsea we all know yeah, we all no, know no, about Chelsea uh, and so forth but I want to start yeah we with... know we know about Chelsea as a <laughs> we all know about Chelsea so DM I, I want to start with you tell us about tell us a little bit about Bristol City the and um, their path in the WSL so far uh, and let's just tell us a little bit about your uh, them so um, do you mean the season um, in particular or just, just generally? Um, well, let's start with generally and then we'll go into the season so far. Okay, so um, Bristol City, or as was um, when they when they first were, when the FAWSL first started, Bristol Academy, they were a, a founder team in the um, Barclays FAWSL. So they've, they're kind of a long-standing team within the league. Um, they did drop out of the top division um, a few seasons ago and into the into the into the championship but we were promoted back and um, Willie Kirk was then our manager so we've kind of always been there and thereabouts um during the first few years of the FAWSL we were uh, quite successful we were in a couple of cup finals we were runners up to the league we were in the champions league a couple of times so you know quite a punching above our weight I suppose um, in terms of you know what you would expect a a club because we were then called Bristol Academy and we weren't aligned to any um, you know kind of men's football teams we were kind of standalone club and then um, we changed our identity and became incorporated with Bristol City so um, so we've you know we've been there and thereabouts there are our fortunes in recent times haven't been um, so great we haven't really kind of done anything very special like survival's probably been the the best thing that we've done but obviously we've got to the Conti Cup final this year and um, our fortunes seem to be turning around a bit under Matt Beard so things are things are looking up so that's 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 us. So in the last uh, three seasons prior to this season DM uh, Bristol City's finished eighth in 1718, sixth in 1819, and in the truncated season last season, ended by COVID and everything, uh, ended up in 10th. So far, as it stands today, Bristol City sits in 11th in the WSL. Um, how has, how would you say the season has gone beyond where the club is placed right now? It's been a pretty interesting season. I mean, I think we we started the season where we left off, but kind of almost worse actually. So so Tanya Oxtoby was 
um in charge she's been in charge for for a couple of seasons and and her first season was was pretty good um we that was the the season we finished i think you said eighth or sixth sorry i'm a bit hazy with the dates and not recalling there but um the the the, the positions and so she had a first good first season and then last season the covid season uh, the form wasn't so great and we were we were playing quite monodimensional um football like tactically so we were we sort of got into this rut of playing um only counter-attacking football and playing quite negatively and defensively you know defensively but attacking if you like counter-attacking um and that continued and in this season uh we we started shipping a lot of goals um so we lost was it nine nine nil to Chelsea and uh, you know horrendous score lines eight one against Man City so our goal difference is uh you know famously awful um but you know I think there needed to be a change and Matt Beard coming in in mid-January has been really really positive for us I think it's been positive for him as well I think he, he became a bit disillusioned um, in his, with his experience with West Ham he certainly said so and he's just got us playing a better style of football really and I think when I was looking at the the squad I was always looking at the squad and saying you know we're better than what is you know the results that we're getting and we you know that's a better group of players than you know losing 9-0 8-1 and or 4-0 uh to Everton to, to Birmingham you know our form was terrible so it's it's really turned around I think the fitness has improved we're playing you know a lot more dynamically we've got more um, tactical versatility and it they just look a completely different team to be honest and you know, I think everyone loves an underdog. I think that's probably why people feel drawn to Bristol. I think when I talk to people, people seem to often talk, say, say they, you know, they like Bristol and they want them to do well. And I'm sure they're not just saying that because they're talking to me. Um, maybe they are, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see. And they, they seem like really together at the moment. And I think mm. there's a lot of football left to be played. I'm not sure. What do you think, Rob? How do you, how do you see our, our season oh. going? I mean, I think, but personally, I will say one thing. I think Tanya, Toby, considering the resources that Bristol have in comparison to other WSL clubs, did brilliantly. And although fans sort of, you know, I do appreciate the comments about the style of play. I would also add that I, I'm always been sort of a big advocate in a level of pragmatism. And the fact that you can't, you know, as much as it sounds wonderful to go out and play attractive football, there is also an element of staying in the top division and ultimately increasingly I think in WSL that's important to say that Matt Beard um, again having had a spell at Chelsea albeit before I sort of really um, sort of followed the club because again my following came just as he left and as Emma Hayes came in um, but I do sort of know what he then went on to achieve and I will say he is a fantastic manager um, and someone by all accounts that is very well regarded in the game and there's a lot of you know very good stuff sort of said about him. From my sort of perspective whenever i sort of look at Bristol I feel it's one of those teams where you sort of and I, I mean this is sort of the politest possible sort of way is one of the ones where as a Chelsea fan you should look at it and expect to get three points because of the nature of the team we are but at the same time that makes it one of those dangerous games because there's that level of expectation and that pressure and there are some brilliant younger players coming through at Bristol not at least sort of you know people like Ebony Salmon who I'm sure we're going to sort of discuss in more detail later, where it's starting to sort of become the situation where if they can keep those players together for a couple of years and the same as at other, you know, it comes down to that at a lot of WSL clubs, if they can stop, you know, the bigger clubs from inevitably attracting eyes to them, then they can go on and do something impressive. And the fact this year that they've managed to get to the Comedy Cup final, and again, I'm, I, I, I apologise for sound patronising in any way, shape or form, considering what was going on earlier in the season is I think absolutely brilliant. And it should be, you know, the big disappointment is that fans can't be there because I imagine it would be a wonderful sort of day out in many ways for so many fans. And it's a, it's a welcome distraction from relegation battles. And it's the sort of thing where, and although I don't want it to happen, if you do pull off a shock on Sunday, and I think it's fair to call it a shock because it would be, then it's going to give a massive boost of confidence for the rest of the season. But even reaching that final alone, should give them a boost. And the fact that, you know, there are clearly teams, in my opinion, in the WSL that are a lot worse than Bristol. And that, to me, there is no reason why it can't get to the final sort of weekend, final couple of games, and Bristol can be safe, if I'm completely honest. 
Yeah, I think that's certainly the case in terms of how they've been playing recently. I mean, if you look to the game on Monday night, that is not a team who is bottom of the league. That's a team that's playing full of confidence, that's beginning to click together. It's got lots of different scorers. Um, you know, it's not just Ebony Salmon who's scoring the goals. We had Perfield chipping in. We have Charlie Welling scoring a fantastic goal. You know, it's. I, I also think that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the marathon, not a sprint thing. I think some, like, teams like Birmingham you've got to be worried about them at the moment because they've mm. lost three games four nil um, and they kind of peaked too early when we played them at Twerton Park they absolutely killed us honestly they were so aggressive they looked fit you know that was the difference when Matt Beard came in and he was talking about the need to increase the fitness because we were mm. we weren't up to speed basically and you could totally see that in the game against Birmingham at Twerton Park when we, we looked we just looked limp and kind of just not weak but just mm. easily you know pushovers really and and they 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 wipe the floor of us but I reckon you know we're playing Birmingham at the end of March and yeah it'll be really interesting to see what that will what that contest will be like so we'll be a completely different team and I mean, it seems and it seems that uh Bristol is a completely different team because I mean at one point things were looking pretty dire uh, at one point, but I want to go back to, to the last, essentially the last five, you know, uh, well, actually the last four league games, starting with back on January 30, uh, with, with a 3-0 against Brighton, which was the first league win of the season, was in January. Uh, at that point, it seemed, before then, it seemed that, that Bristol, unfortunately, it seemed like it was almost automatic conclusion that they would be relegated. However, since then, a draw at, with, at West Ham, 1-1 one, one on February 7, uh, that was followed by a matchup with Chelsea. We won't mention the score in that. But then, uh, but then really, I think that it could, and I talk a lot on this podcast, on this podcast, about teams having defining moments. Mm. The match on Monday mm. with Reading, which in my opinion, and now Rob, you may share this, this opinion as well, Reading and Everton are in that category that I call teams that are not in top four you don't want to play with because mm. they are difficult to play. They're very experienced. They're very resolute. They're very energized. They're, and all of that put together, they're well-drilled, all of those things. And I... I didn't watch the game live. I really wish I had because that must have been a great game to watch. And I was, to be honest, I was surprised that it was a 3-2 win for Bristol. DM, were you surprised as well? Were fans surprised with how that was or not? Because things had been starting to turn around. I don't know if I, I, I was surprised. I mean, I was lucky enough to be at that game, actually, because mm-hmm. we, um, we got press passes as the Vixen cast. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was such a brilliant game. And I it was one of those games that just you were inside it when it was happening Mm -hmm. and it's something absolutely magical was taking place and that's how I felt I felt I actually think that was one of the best games I've ever seen Bristol play just in terms of the the mental resilience the the creativity the goals scored the the back and forth we talked about the fitness I've already talked about the Mm -hmm. fitness you could see that at the end of the game you know we had the energy we had the um the, the the energy left in the tank to get that goal back after Rachel Rowe scored that absolute worldie you know and to come back and score the goal that we did um I wasn't surprised at all actually because I thought we could win this um I mm-hmm. thought we could beat Reading we played uh, the last few games that we played against Reading have been really exciting so we played a we had a 3-3 thriller at the at the Majeski um in uh, last season which was just one of you know, that was one of the first games where Ebony Salmon did one of her um you know going bearing down on goal scoring a one-on-one and uh, you know doing that thing that she has done again and again and again and it was it was so thrilling that match it was very similar to the match the other night and actually um quite interesting that the games that we play against Reading at the Majeski and again at Ashton Gate on these very big pitches um, seem to produce these kinds of, uh, you know, contests. And then the game last um, at the Majeski this season was a 1-1, uh, similar, very exciting back and forth. Um, you know, one of the, our, our first point, I think, of the season. So, no, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised because we've been really good. And I think the team were full of confidence. So, I mean, I certainly didn't think, oh, we, you know, this is, this mm. is a, a guarantee. But it's like, I, you know, I, was, I, was, I wasn't surprised. 
I mean, from a from a sort of neutral point of view, I'm looking at your final sort of um, six league fixtures. And again, okay, I'm probably and that's discounting City on the Wednesday after the cup final because I think it's probably fair to say that I expect City to win that. But looking at them, besides our Arsenal, sort of again, will be a tough one. But you're facing United the final sort of penultimate weekend. By then, I think they might be, you know, their season may have been decided because I don't think they're going to be able to overtake City and I don't think Arsenal will overtake them. I can't see why you can't pick up points against Tottenham. I can't see why you can't beat Birmingham. I can't see why you can't beat Villa. And I can't see why you can't beat Brighton, in all honesty. Like, I, you know, as a... but And that's not me sort of, you know, trying to sort of over-egg the pudding. But in, real, in realism, I, you know, I've watched Tottenham multiple times now in sort of, you know, against Chelsea. And it's clear that they're one of those teams where there are good players, but there's not a squad. And yeah. one thing you're starting to see more... With, and even, to be fair, in that recent game of um, Chelsea against Bristol City, I mean, looking at that scoreline, that was more... And sort of the Chelsea... I said this afterwards when I came on uh, you, Keith, that that was more due to the fact that we played really well cohesively as a unit. And for a minute, one, we really switched on. And it was helped, you know, later later on in the game, it was sort of hampered by the fact the pitch at Twerton Park was an issue for both sides. And I think, you know, I know you've spoken numerous times about it on your own podcast, but it's one of the sort of things towards the end where both teams are more interested in avoiding injuries. But yeah. throughout that entire game, you couldn't... One thing you sometimes see with teams in this was one of these players downing tools. And you at no point could say that players didn't give their absolute all. They were, you know, just beaten by a better side. And to me as a as I've said always as a fan, if my team goes out there and is beaten by a better team, but puts in 100% effort and gives the best account of themselves, I can't be annoyed because ultimately that's football. It's when the team doesn't put in that energy, which is perhaps, I think, one of the claims you could maybe mm-hmm. sort of say earlier in the season. I know there were other issues sort of, um, mm. sort of off the pitch as well. And obviously poor results do sort of lead to lower morale. But, I mean, I look at the sort of goal difference and obviously the goal difference looked bad from a neutral perspective, but I was talking to someone else sort of about this and I was sort of saying, well, you look at some of the early season results and then immediately you're on sort of, you know, a minus 20 sort of goal difference. And it doesn't really matter then what you do because if you then have normal results for the rest of the season, it still fluctuates and still looks, you know, horrendous. So I, I don't see any reason why, you know, by the end of the season, Bristol could quite comfortably sort of end up in a safe in a position of relative safety especially having watched you know the likes of Villa Birmingham Tottenham I mean all of those I would say they need they could look over their shoulder because although Spurs are up in eight they're only three points away Mm. yeah no totally and just to pick up your point there about um you know effort and commitment I mean I've I've never I never feel like even you know in the kind of the the terrible results against um, against Chelsea last this season um, and any of our drubbings I always feel like the team you know are really trying and that they're together and they're putting their best performance yeah. in um, but I I genuinely I I am I was critical of of, of the the kind of the way in which we were set up under Oxtoby this season um, I think it was it was very predictable and didn't didn't get the best out of the players and I think you can see the the flip with with Matt Beard that that is that is changing so um but yeah I I agree though I think it's you know that's why I never kind of get down on the players as such and obviously you know why would you because you know they're you know they're just they're they're do they are trying their best but I do always think they're they are playing as a team or they're trying to play as a team and I, I know what you mean about Tottenham I was surprised when they played at Twerton Park, actually, how how poor they were. I was like, they, you know, they're, that's, they're probably the worst team that we played, and and I haven't mm-hmm. seen them under the new manager. So it's it's, but they had a bit of a, a bounce, but they seem to not not be, you know, keeping that bounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dan, let's talk about and let's drill this down closer to the Conti Cup itself. So talk about y'all's road. And I say y'all a lot because I'm from the South in the U.S. Um, talk about y'all's road in the Conti Cup uh, that is taking you to this final. So you want, want me to talk about our road to the yes, your uh, road, yeah, yeah, Bristol's road. I guess you could say we've we've had the slightly more 
um, the easier side of the of the draw because all of the the teams that we were playing against in our in our group were in the championship, so um, they were in the lower league and we were beating them comfortably and that was what was quite interesting actually is that we were easily beating those teams and we weren't you know we weren't have didn't have a hope in hell against uh you know the FAWSL teams so um so that's that's how we got out the group and then I think we we played played Villa didn't we in the in the next Mm -hmm. round and that was a really good good win actually good good boost for us because we had that terrible loss against Villa and I think psychologically that helped us so results were picking up um, and then that really good semi-final win against Leicester, who Leicester were, were, were very good, actually. And I'm sure they'll they'll get promoted. Very, very good team. Lots of good players. Not much difference, but we still managed to get the win. And uh, so I think it I think the Continental Cup for us this season has has served um, an important purpose of, of like, you know, keeping the confidence going because we've we've won games. Um, even though our league form has been absolutely abysmal, the Conti Cup has been, we've, we've consistently scored, we've consistently got results. So I think having that there has definitely helped, uh, you know, give the team some confidence. Yeah, and for those people out there that, that in the U.S. particularly, who do not, do not understand why there are domestic cup competitions in you know various leagues all over the place including in the US why those cup competitions are incredibly important it gives teams the opportunity to have a run of form to go on a, to essentially go on a run uh, to get possibly a trophy that they may not even come close to getting during the actual league competition. And I think in Bristol City's case, this is a case in point where, uh, you know, things had gotten down so poorly. There was a change in manager and so forth, change in tactics, change in everything. And by that time it happened, the league, as far as competing for the league, was out of the question. However, still having the ability to play for a cup in the Conti Cup, particularly at the right moment, to be able to get out of the group and then face, you know, uh, an Aston Villa side, which is in the WSL, win two to one in the quarters, and then a few weeks later to play, you know, and as you said, DM, Leicester is likely to be promoted uh, next year to in one zero in the semifinal. You know, you know, it gives the team, you know, it's like, hey, they got a chance here. We got a chance to, to at least touch a trophy in this in the season uh, and not have to just kind of you know, uh, try to play the season out and hope for the best um, and, and so forth. So that's why these cup competitions are so incredibly special uh, and so forth. And that's why I'm glad also that the FA Cup will be reinstated uh, after being um, sort of paused for a while. And when people were wondering where that was going uh, and so forth. So it's been kind of a great run. Uh, Rob, what is, what's been Chelsea's Conti Cup run been like? We've talked a lot about league competition, but what about in the Conti Cup leading to the So final? in the Conti Cup, it uh, started off with uh, what we affectionately love to call the London Cup, uh, the London group, in which we faced Arsenal, we faced Tottenham, and we would have faced London City Lionesses. Um, we beat Arsenal and Tottenham in uh, both, both times. We beat Arsenal um, in a very strange game uh, uh, that was played behind closed doors and there was no media coverage it was particularly criticized by um Chelsea fans by the lack of sort of coverage on it but we won 4-1 against Arsenal beat Tottenham 2-0 in a game where sort of that was a bit of after the Lord Mayor's show I think we had an impressive win at the weekend I want to say it was against Manchester City and um we sort of you know went and just did the job got two goals uh, Cuthbert scored a screamer and Melly Liverpool scored and then the game against London City Lionesses was postponed due to um, issues with COVID uh, with London City and it was decided that there was no need to reschedule it because it had no effect on qualifying so then we got through to the quarterfinals and we faced Manchester City um, and the Manchester City uh, Chelsea match was probably the best WSL or con- probably one of the best women's games I've ever seen it ended 2-4 to Chelsea after extra time including two world-class goals from Neem Charles and then one from Sophie Ingle it was an incredible advert for the game. Um, and I would highly recommend anyone, you know, if you want to go back and watch some of the top players, go and watch that. And then in the semi-finals, we faced um, Matt Beard's old side, ironically, uh, West Ham, who had been taken over by Ollie Harder. And it was Penilla Harder instead who did the damage. She scored a hat-trick. There was another goal for Sophie Ingle, a goal for Beth England, oh. and a goal for Frank Kirby. 
the main thing for Chelsea on the way to this final has been goal scoring. Like there's been so many games where they've gone out and they have just looked so, so potent and so, so threatening. In that game, they won 2-0 against Spurs. That could have been any score. Against Manchester City, they could have scored more than four. Um, and that was on a night where I didn't even think we were attacking at our best. And, you know, it's one of those things with Vienna Hayes' sort of Chelsea is that when they get going and they start scoring, you know, it's very hard to stop them once they start from turning one into two into three. And then they've just taken the game away from you. And I, I'm going to be honest, y'all. Um, so it just y'all who, who have, are joining England is burning since we made the format change uh, and so forth. The, it was watching that quarterfinal between Manchester City and Chelsea going in extra time uh, and Chelsea coming out on top. That actually, I'll be honest with y'all, that was, the, that was the match that led me to decide to do a complete format change. I had been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I decided after watching that game, I decided, no, we got to make a complete format change and we're going to go straight ahead and do FAWSL and we'll, we'll focus uh, initially at the top and see where it goes. Um, Because I was so impressed with that match, Rob, um, and and what happened there as a neutral, it was incredibly compelling uh, the watch. And I was like, nah, there's something to this. Uh, And, and and I want to be, I wanted to be a part of it uh, and so forth. So, and also Chelsea, you know, just uh, Chelsea has just come off uh, completing their leg uh, against Atletico Madrid and the, uh, the champions league. They went off to Italy for the, dreaded um, COVID-related home game for Atletico, which is in Madrid, but that game was played in Northern Italy, that game, uh, uh, and they came out with a 1-1 draw during the week uh, after kind of a a run of form in the WSL that's led to four clean sheets in a row recently, including Arsenal, Bristol, uh, well, actually three uh, with West Ham. So coming in pretty strong as far as form is concerned. So now we have the final. And so, yeah, we, we, we touched briefly on Ebony Salmon, uh, and she is the Bristol's leading goal scorer with six. Um, tell us a little bit more about her and her impact on the team and, and, uh, and what she brings to this final. Well, it's kind of, you know, where do you start with Ebony Salmon? I mean, she's just like an amazing an amazing player she's probably for me the best player um that best striker that Bristol have ever had uh, you know hands down and she's such a unique talent she's her her pace is 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 very well celebrated the amount of times I mean that's probably why we were playing that way with counter-attacking is because you could just like lump it up to Ebony Salmon and she would like muscle past the defenders and she actually reminds me a bit like a running back in American football she's got that quite kind of bustly um you know kind of runs past people and sort of bursts through the defense and um and and her finishing and her composure the amount of time she's done that and has been bearing down on goal and just smashes it in the back of the net is is you know well she's done it you know she's done it six times a season in the league but she's she's just done it again and again and again and she's obviously a focal point and like weirdly I mean that was another thing is like you know sometimes she wouldn't be the first name on the team sheet um for Tanya um at the start of the season but um you know that changed and she she was starting games because you've got to have if you've got Ebony Salmon on the pitch you've got hope if you have that as Bristol um I totally understand why every team and everyone loves her and everybody's like oh I want want her to come and play for our club um but for me I think it's so important for the the teams you know the the talent to be spread across the Mm -hmm. FAWSL because it enables the league to become competitive as a whole um you know if you have Ebony Salmon in the Chelsea team for example she's gonna who's she gonna be you know when's she gonna be starting she's gonna be coming on as a sub for for the Man City team you know, she's going to be competing against Chloe Kelly and uh, Lauren Hemp and Ellen White and whoever else um, they, they get mm. in next season. You know, yeah, sorry, sorry, Rob, you want to say something? No, I, I was going to say, uh, I completely agree. I think it's one of those um, sort of, I, I think A, it's important sort of that. I would personally go as far as to say outside of the top four and in which as I'm saying City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, I think she's the best player outside of the top four. Um 
and I'm sure there will be angry people, you know, angry Hayley Razzo fans that will be listening to this and telling me, you know, willing to tell me why that's sort of wrong. And I'm sure there'll be other names in there. But yeah, I, you know, Salmon, if I think it's probably fair to say from a Chelsea perspective that if we can keep Ebony Salmon quiet, I'm 90% confident we can keep a clean sheet on Sunday. However, if we can't, then it's going to make it a really difficult game. The player who Salmon sort of, and again, Keith, you sort of all know I like to sort of um, reference mm-hmm. sort of men's because I know some fans will be listening to some will be more familiar with the game will be coming into it. The player that Salmon reminds me a lot of um, in sort of her style of play of holding it up and sort of being so good with the back to Didier Drogba because she's so good with her back to sort of the defender and just bustling into them mm-hmm. and making life uncomfortable. And I love that. I love the fact just as a striker, she doesn't try, she can place it very well and she can do place finishes, culture finishes, but so often she just goes for the smash and it's so re- very hard, for go- especially at close range. It's so hard for goalkeepers to deal with that because, you know, it's just bulleted at you. And even if it's not, you know, particularly well-placed, it's so hard to react and stop it. Um, and I will say one of the big things that, you know, one of the pleasing factors for me in that game against um, Bristol recently, as Justin, was the way we were able to stop the supply of the salmon. And that was sort of by having the two centre-backs, Magda Eriksson and Millie Bright, very tight to her. And then Sophie Ingalls sitting just in front of the back four and mopping up. So whenever Salmon did bring it down, there was Ingle just in there to mop it up and take it away. Because I think if you can remove that ability for her to play with her back to goal and get it down, it means she's not necessarily the best striker in the league at running into balls in on behind. And I think that's something that will just come with time. It's something she can develop. But yeah, no, I think, you know, I think she's an absolutely fantastic player. I agree on the point in that, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being hypocritical here because I'm not going to try and claim Chelsea haven't signed top players from other sides. And, you know, I'm sure if we needed a striker, she would be one of the names on the list. At the moment, you know, we have an influx of attacking talent in every single position. So I find it hard to see where she fits in, but I don't doubt that she could make the step up, if that makes sense. And Ebony is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so she's quite young. And so, Rob, you have an excellent point in terms of, of gaining experience and a lot of stuff will come in time. She leads a, she leads a team in per, shots on target percentage. 36% of her shots are on target. She leads the team in goal-creating actions. She leads the team in shot-creating actions, which means that there's more to her play than just being a, than shooting the ball at the net because she's part, a lot of part of the, the shot creation of the team. DM, you were about to say something further about her. Yeah, just some, like sometimes she, she plays on the left and you saw, um, I think sometimes when Abby Harrison comes on for Bristol, Harrison plays in a central role and, and Salmon goes on to, um, you know, goes on to the left. So in that more supporting role. Um, so yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's just brilliant. So that's, you know, that was all I wanted to say. Um, but yeah, she's so, a very exciting player and it's yeah, very, very exhilarating to, to have such a player on, on your team. And that's, that's the thing it's, it's, it's really, really exciting. And what I loved about that commentary the other night, um, for, for the BT Sport commentary is is you know when the when the commentator was just like can she finish it yes she can I was just like that's exactly that's exactly how it feels it's just like oh my god but you know I, I guess Rob has that experience all the time because you've got like amazing, <laughs> amazing exciting players all in your team and obviously Bristol have amazing and exciting mm. players but we we don't we don't have Penilla Harder we don't have uh, you know Sophie Ingle kind of well we used to have Sophie Ingle but so I mean some of those goals Sophie Ingle's been scoring recently is just mental can't mm. believe it um, she's so, brilliant Dion besides Emini so who mm. who else on your squad is someone for for neutrals for fans to look out for i think for me the ultimate hero is is sophie bagley because uh, mm. she's she's such an unsung um you know goalkeeper in terms of oh she's not i mean she is recognized by people and i think the fact that we our goal difference is so horrific um makes her overlooked in terms of the the england setup for example but she, some of the some of the saves that she she pulls off and you know we our goal difference would be significantly worse if it wasn't for Sophie Bagley and she's she's just a brilliant keeper and you know just a, a great personality as well and and one of my favorite favorite players um like for sure I think she's just a, a fantastic 
um, shot stopper. And if, if Bagley's on form and she's like, you know, pulling out all these crazy saves, it's uh, we've got a chance as well. That's yeah. that's the thing if she's playing top of her game. So, yeah, mm-hmm. watch out for Bagley, particularly in the pony kit. She's got this lovely um, pink rainbow, uh, my li- what we call the pony kit because it looks like a rainbow bright, the My Little Pony. Um, and she's, yeah, I just, I just love Baggers so much. She's great. Do you love her as well, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily when she's deciding to put in an absolute masterclass against her. Again, the one that I think typified it, and it was actually that game a couple of weeks ago. The, again, I'm trying not to come back to that because I, I don't think a lot was learned from the game. But it was about two minutes in, I think, was we broke down the left and uh, England put a peach of a ball in for Sam Kerr. And to put it into co- sort of a comparison, at the week, last weekend against West Ham, we put the same cross in. And Sam Kerr rose and just nodded it past. And in that game, Sam Kerr did nothing wrong with the header, but Sophie Bagley did brilliantly to get around and tip it round the post and then claim and claim the corner. And it's one of those things, and this is one of the reasons why I still am quite happy to say, I think there's a good chance of Bristol to be away from any relegation draws whatsoever, is because they've got the two things you need to me uh, to avoid that. And you've got a consistent goal scorer and a top keeper. And I would say, you know, I'm surprised... I'm surprised from a neutral perspective that other clubs in WSL and even the ones towards the top of the league haven't looked at Bagley because I would certainly, you know, say I, I think from a perspective she's better than some of the keepers that you see at other top clubs. And again, it may just be, it may be, you know, that I'm sort of, I only have limited sort of experience of it, but I find it, you know, the fact that she sort of is often in the running for things like player of the year and sort of PFA player of the year is constantly recognised by teammates and is a def- in a defence that, let's be honest, does concede an awful lot of goals. Like, if you're a goalkeeper and you're achieving that, then you must be doing something right. Yeah, for sure. And I think I just think Baggers is really... She's liked as well. I think she's got just... I think she's a very likeable character um, as well as being a very good footballer. And she's very good with her feet as well. She's, mm. she's, a, she's a fantastic... She's a really good keeper. And it's, like, for me, it's criminal that she has not been called up for the England team. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I think she's a lot better than, um, you know, some of the other keepers who are um, called up for the England team. But um, yeah, Baggers is, is fantastic. But we've also got to put, uh, you know, celebrate Gemma Evans, whose recent form has been really good in, in central defence. The Welsh international um, was captain on Monday night. Uh, she's actually, I think, since the Reading game last season, sorry, um, the Reading game, you know, last year, this season, um, she's really started to put in consistent performances and she's such a good sliding tackler and she's very, very consistent and yeah, she's getting her plaudits as well. So I think, you know, watch out for Gemma Evans, number three in the centre of defence. Molly Pike has been very good since coming to us from Everton, looking very good in midfield. Um, Ella Strantonio, who has not been starting games, uh, not really sure why. Um, the Australian international, that's a bit of a discussion point on the Vixen cast. Would like her to have a few more minutes on the pitch because I think she's a very cultured footballer. Uh, and you know probably the most intelligent footballer if that makes sense um you know some some footballers when you watch them play you can really see that their their kind of their head is connected to their feet um and they're sort of there's an intelligence to them and I think that's what Ella Mastrantonio has and it's it's different to our other midfielders so I wish she she started a bit more so hopefully if she she you know gets some more um, minutes under her belt it will increase her confidence so I think I actually think we've got quite a lot of st- strength in depth for a team um, in our position. Gemma Evans uh, the thing that the thing that I pointed out in, in doing my research on on statistics is she leads the team in basically in plus minus net goals per 90 minutes and so what that basically means is is the team's performance net is per game 4.36 you know goals per 90 minutes better than average when she's on versus when she's off so the team is so much better when she's on the pitch when versus when she's off uh and molly pike the um, whom you mentioned she's also only 20 years old uh also second where the team performs significantly better with her on the pitch versus when she's not on the pitch as well. So um, a couple other folks here that I wanted to mention also is, um, is Gemma Perfield, 
she leads the team in successful pressures uh, in terms of pressuring their um, pressuring opponents leading to dispossessions. Uh, Yana Daniels leads in tackles one and also leads the team in tackles plus interceptions. Mm. Yeah, I mean, two really good players, I would say. Um, Gemma Perfield has been um, fantastic for us. Uh, came in from Liverpool this season. Uh, she's been an, an, an a elegant defender, but also very effective wing back as well and has pit, um, chipped in with a couple of goals, one in the, the Conti Cup and also obviously on Monday night. So scores are, are, you know, only scores screamers, worldies. So yeah, Gemma Perfield is is very, very good. And um, Yana Daniels is always, you know, talk about players who always give 150, 200% every single game. You know, Yana just, she just tries. And I, I'm not sure about if you've got the statistic, but surely she's one of the most fouled plays, players in the WSL. So she really knows how to draw a foul. She did have a bit of a dodgy dive on Monday night. Um, so we won't go, won't go into that. But she's a very versatile player as well. She's, she's played um, as a wing back. Um, but she can also she was you know when we first went in her first stint for Bristol she's played for Bristol twice um, she she was more of a, a forward and, and Matt Beard's been playing her in a more forward uh, position so yeah she's she's great I mean I just her commitment is you know unparalleled I think and she's she's actually a very cultured footballer as well and she can go past players and uh, obviously scored that brilliant uh, worldie against Brighton which you know kind of kicked, helped us kick on um, in that match so yeah massive just I love them all that's the thing is I I love all of all of the team I think they're all brilliant so yeah the other thing I've noted with Bristol is how young they are um, mm. in terms of the as far as playing a, uh, in terms of players that have the most minutes um, you know I'm looking at 24 24 24 24 Yana's 28 uh, Charlie Wellings is 22. Ebony, we mentioned earlier, is 20. Uh, Flo Allen is 21. Um, you know, it's a very, very young squad that, you know, it can only get better in terms of time uh, and experience. Uh, Rob, who, um, I, we, you know, everyone knows about Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby, mm-hmm. Beth England, you know, uh, we can go on and on and on. Anyone that, that fans, neutrals of this match should be looking out for on the Chelsea side? Uh, besides the obvious names. Besides the obvious names. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll throw out one who I, I really like her style of play and she's perhaps been a victim of the fact that we have so many world-class players this year, because I think she's absolutely brilliant and, you know, arguably herself is world-class. Uh, Gura Wrighton has enjoyed a really good Conti Cup um, so far. Got a couple of goals against Arsenal, got the assist against Spurs, um, played well in that game against Manchester City, came on in that game, uh, I believe came at, no, got some assists against that game against West Ham. Um, it's just a really interesting sort of little player, Wrighton, because she occupies those sort of spaces that defenders don't like to be dragged into. And she's so good at dragging defenders out into that space and a making use of it herself because she's not against scoring a worldie or assisting a teammate, but also then creating space for the likes of Kirby, Harder, Kerr, England. Um, sort of, well, just while we're here, actually, I also want to say it's um, very disappointing that Beth England won't be able to repeat her heroics from last year in the Conti Cup final because she is unfortunately out of it due to concussion suffered on um, Wednesday. So that's a sort of big shame because, again, she mentioned last year it was her favourite sort of game of the season and it clearly meant a lot. So, you know, and any players sort of missing for Bristol, I do sympathise for any player, especially if they have to miss a cup final because it's one of those things you don't know when it's going to come along again. Um, the other sort of names I'll give for Chelsea, and again, I make no proponent. I do this every time I come on podcast and I make absolutely no apology for it. Um, the full-backs, um, again, I don't know who will play at fullback because in midweek we started with uh, Neem Charles and John Anderson. I'm pretty confident John will start um, at left back. She's just the epitome of consistency. Like, I mean, there will be there will be a point at some point, and I hope it's when fans about that John Anderson will score and everyone will just go absolutely ballistic because you know there's been there's been moments in the last couple of weeks where it's been sort of threatened and it's got close and it's one of those players who just does so much for the team and is such an unsung hero. And when she's missing, you do really notice it because defensively, although people like Hannah Blundell are really good players, they're just not on the same par as Anderson. I think she's the best left back in WSL and I've said that before. And then at right back, Mira Mielder, um, 
if she does start at right back, she could also play at centre back. But at right back, Mielda is just one of those players that is so consistent. Is just such a excellent footballer, such a brilliant tactical brain as well. And the thing I also really love is she sets up and takes penalties. And I don't think I've seen, and you know, this will be the jinx for Sunday, so I'll put it in there. I don't think I've seen Mary Mielda miss a penalty. Um, just so good at just putting them away brilliantly and just being so consistent and being such a driving force down that right-hand side. And that's one of the main things that Chelsea really benefit from is the link-up between Mary Mielda and Frank Kirby this year on the right wing has been especially prevalent because Kirby has um, moved out a lot more to the right this season. And my friend Mir did a really good article uh, on it. Check it out, uh, at Mir Erickson Photo on Twitter. But she did a really interesting article about how Kirby's position has changed, that she's effectively become this really direct right winger this season. And it's causing so much damage in WSL because there's a sort of lack of defensively apt, uh, apt left-backs. Mm. Um, real quick, DM, great shout on Yana Daniels. She does lead the league in being fouled. <laughs> does she? I, I'm so not surprised. I mean, it's just incredible. We love it. We love it every time Yana Daniels gets, gets fouled. And that yeah. is, are you serious? Is, does she actually... She's yeah, number one. yeah. Slightly, she has thirty six total. And, uh, I'm slightly oh, surprised. Brilliant. I'm slightly surprised it's not Frank Kirby because every time, then again, the thing is, Frank Kirby gets kicked and just continues on and just you know, take if you just kick her, she just takes it in an insult and just continues on again. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Yana's very good at drawing out the foul in that mm-hmm. that kind of tactical way, and mm-hmm. it's, it, again, it's a kind of game management. It's using, I guess, using what you've got and. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 good. It's it sounds quite negative, but it's not meant to be. It's 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 a kind of a canniness. She's a great. She's a really good footballer. I'm I'm so pleased that we've we've got her in the team. So nice segue to game management. So Matt Beard has come on as the the new manager of Bristol. Uh, you mentioned that fitness was an issue, tactics were an issue, and so forth. So here we are going into a cup final. So what kind of tactics do you think? that Matt Beard is going to approach this game with? I mean, I think it's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's it's Chelsea and Chelsea will... I'm, I'm imagining that Chelsea will start how they start against us at Twerton Park, which is, you know, whistle blows, you know, attack, attack, try and smother and, and kill and score um, in that Chelsea way. Um, I guess it's just staying in the game, isn't it, for as long as possible. That's the only thing you can do with against Chelsea is is stay in the game and try you know, try not to concede in the first ten minutes or five minutes. Keep it nil nil for as long as possible uh, without being horrendously negative. And uh, you know, counter punch, make some little incisions, uh, put the seeds of doubt in the mind. Obviously, Chelsea are not um, omnipotent foes. Brighton has had proved that. Um, you've got to have a bad day though. Chelsea have got to have a bad day to, to be beatable. So I think that's really the way they've got to try and approach it is just to stay in the game. And because if we go, if we go one nil down, um, you know, it's likely that we'll go two nil down um, because that momentum that Rob mentioned uh, is, is, is definitely something that will happen with, with Chelsea. So we've just got to, just got to stay hang in there really and just hope hope that we we kind of nick a nick a goal or get a goal ourselves and and that's the only way um without being completely negative i think that's the only way we're going to get anything from it um rob your team your chelsea they they like to strike early um as you mentioned and i think it's sort of like a domino effect once they get the first mm. goal then more come with it. The only exception was that Brighton match uh, that where they didn't quite happen that way um, and so forth. So will Emma Hayes go go the same route, go with the same tactic of let's attack in every way possible, long balls down to down the flanks up the middle, you know, to try to get an early score and um, start that domino effect uh, as they have in other matches. I mean, I can't see why not. I mean, I will, I will say after the midweek game against Atletico, it was one of those games that even though it ended 1-1, Chelsea didn't really have to expend a lot of energy because Atletico never really looked like, you know, troubling them too badly. Um, again, helped by the fact that they contrived to continue missing penalties and having the worst record in Europe for taking spot kicks. 
Um, but it it sort of is an interesting one to me because I look at Chelsea and obviously England is out, but then you sort of immediately say, well, you know, Sam Kerr sort of slips in. Harder took a knock the other day, but Gura Wrighton can go straight in. Fran Kirby took a knock, but we've got Jessie Fleming, who's sort of, you know, she's probably one of the real points to prove. So you'd hope to sort of see a really good performance. And there's people like, you know, Jess Carter and Drew Spence that are also still waiting for minutes. So I really don't know tactically. I expect to see, I expect to probably see the 4-3-3 deployed. Um, and I'll probably, you know, if I was to go for the lineup, it'll be AKB in goal. Carly Telford has played a couple of the Conti Cup games, but I think she's got a bit of a knock. And I can't see Jachira Macho, Zakira Makovic being given the nod um, for the final for her debut. Then uh, probably Meryn Mielder and John Anderson at fullback, uh, Magda and Millie in central defence, and then the midfield three, where I think this is where the game will be, you know, really important for Chelsea to sort of win it, is uh, Jiso Yun. Melanie Lurpols and Sophie Ingle because, and as you know, I've said before, when Melanie Lurpols has a good game for Chelsea, Chelsea tend to tick. Um, and one of the big things the other day against that, uh, against last week against West Ham, was Melanie Lurpols wasn't in the side, and they, you know, they won it quite comfortably, but they looked a bit disjointed at times. Um, and then the front three, I suspect, probably Kirby, Harder, and Kerr, which is a front three to strike fear into anyone. Chelsea will start fast. They will try and score early and they will try and, you know, ultimately they know they can score um, against Bristol and they've done it, you know, more times before and they will work on the basis that if they can get one, then I think, you know, a lot of the, if they can get one and get one early, then a lot of the doubt will creep back in of, you know, is it going to happen again? And if Chelsea can sort of get two or three, then it really will be game over. And I think both sides will, you know, recognise that and acknowledge that. And, you know, DM, I don't think it would be unfair to say that, if Chelsea do, you know, score a couple early on, then the pattern of the game for both sides will shift dramatically because Chelsea will go for the kill. And I think Bristol will increasingly be caught in a tough position of, do you try and go long and exploit, you know, sort of exploit Emily Salmon's strength up front and try and nick a goal back? Or do you sort of try and just box in and sort of damage limit, have damage limitation, etc.? Yeah, for sure. And um, I just, I just hope it's a competitive match. I hope it's a good spectacle for the for the neutral. I hope, I hope we can, I hope we can pull some surprises as well because we are the underdogs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know after Monday's Monday's game, it will give them a lot of confidence that they can, um, you know, be in a in a contest that has shifts of of, of power and, um, you know. Um, kind of influence within the within the match and 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 pull it back and get back on top I mean that was the first thing that I think that's probably the first time that we've come back from Mm -hmm. being down to win a match Keith do you know when the last time that was um got your stats no I do not Uh, know when the last time it was was. (laughs) um it was uh, I can't actually remember I thought it was against Yeovil a couple of seasons ago but then I looked and actually it wasn't because um, in that that match I thought it was um that we we scored first and then they scored back and immediately after so I think it was even you know a longer time ago so I'm still looking for that statistic when was the last time that we came from behind to win a match so that's that's a major psychological difference in 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 this team at the moment there's a there's a real um, psychological transformation happening as well so you know anything can happen it is it is a game of football and all, all of those cliches obviously Chelsea are terrifying and you've you know just those as you say Penilla Harder Sam Kerr Frank Kirby it's you know Leopold's um, Sophie Ingle Millie Bright all of those players it's just it's it's crazy but um I, you I know, think we... it probably is that Yeovil game mm-hmm you think so? Yeah, January the 27th, 2019, because Anne-Marie Henderson gave you over the lead and then Lucy Graham equalised in the penalty spot and Rosella Ian uh, scored... The there you are so that was it it was against Yeovil but it was a different I had in my mind it was the the game against Yeovil at home but yeah it was it was that one yeah yeah that's it Henderson scored ex ex Bristol player so uh, yeah it's um it's been a long it's been a long time coming so um yeah uh so we'll, we'll just have to see won't we and I, I just hope they have a good you know they have a good time and yeah. and, I, and it I, doesn't yeah it doesn't end up like four you know five nil or something you know horrible like that yeah I would say is like, you know, having chatted to Chelsea fans as much as, you know, we want to see it, we want to win it. And I will, you know, admit that there's a feeling that, you know, winning this is sort of the first step on potentially doing something, you know, really magical. 
this year at Chelsea and becoming the first English side to win sort of, you know, a quadruple or sort of, you know, win some sort of, you know, multiple bits of silverware. What I don't, there are two things I really don't want to see. Number one, and I can't, I, I think it's in operation. I hope it doesn't disrupt any sort of VAR nonsense because I can't stand VAR. And it is one of those things where uh, they summed up perfectly on a piece of commentary a few weeks ago and they said, you know, a piece of footballing genius is being ruled out by some miserable geometry. Um, and it sort of, you know, summed it up. No one, no one wants to go to a match and have a goal disallowed because so-and-so's arm was offside or your toenail was offside or a ponytail was offside or whatever. <laughs> No it's one wants to. Ponytail, isn't it? It's blatantly. It's going to be a ponytail. In yeah. Well, well, whatever it is, no one wants to. You know, I. If my team is going to concede, concede a goal or a player's like two yards offside, I'd be unhappy. If they concede because I don't know, Ebony Salmon's wrist is offside and is in front of Mag Derrickson, she's not going to punch the ball into the net. So that's not going to be you know the reason why. It's going to be due to poor defending, not due to the arm giving you some sort of natural advantage. And in terms of the sort of situation, I don't want to see a game where, you know, if, if Chelsea do sort of score and the heads go down and then it starts to be a bit of a wall thing because it then be a bit of a sort of, you know, pointless spectacle for both teams, especially in an empty stadium. Because I think, you know, if there's fans there, you would at least have, you know, the fact the fans would be cheering them on for 90 minutes, whatever happens. Whereas in empty stadiums, I have noticed this increasingly, in games when teams, you know, concede early and the chips are down, that's when it becomes more and more difficult and desperate because if teams really want to go for the game, you've seen it in the men's game. You saw it a couple of times Southampton against Manchester United where they were in a perfectly comfortable sort of position um, after, you know, two, two, they went sort of 2-0 down. And at that point, you know, you just sort of shut up shop and you write off. And there was that reluctance to sort of do it in that mental block. And it then led to an absolute thrashing. And then you get all sorts of questions. And I think the worst thing from a Bristol point of view would be an absolute walking. And I think from a Chelsea point of view, it won't really teach us anything. I would rather it be a, you know, interesting match where we learn something about Chelsea and learn about how we're actually going to compete in these games. Because ultimately, this might be the cup final we're expected to win the most this season. But ultimately, it's still a cup final. And I've seen, you know, enough examples of David slaying Goliath. So... I'm not going to count any chickens. I mean, I've, I spoke to someone who was incredibly bullish about it and sort of was saying, you know, oh, we don't sort of need to worry about that. It's, sort of, you know, second piece of silverware down. We got that and the community shield. And I'm just waiting for, you know, Sunday. And I, I hope that I'm not going to prove, they're not going to prove, you know, wrong. But it's the sort of thing where I don't like seeing that level of confidence beforehand because it's disrespectful first and foremost. I mean, Bristol have got to the cup final on merit. And that's the big thing people need to remember here is that all it's been done on merit. It's not as if there's been, sort of, you know, like the ludicrous suggestions of drawing straws to qualify teams through. And teams, need, you know, Chelsea need to take it seriously. Yeah, I, think... well, I, hope, I hope you're right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think it's there's much more of a, um, you know, we've got more of a chance um, after Monday night as well, just because there'll be confidence. So. I, I completely agree with that uh, because I, I talk about pivotal matches all the time and, and mentality and how a team's mentality changes. And, and, and I think that was that match on Monday, you know, could be looked back upon at the end of the season as this was the moment where the confidence rose to the level of, of meeting a result, meaning that yes, her confidence has been going up and it's been going up, but now it really came into fruition in this match. We got three points in a match that many people who were neutrals didn't think we would probably get even one. Uh, and, you know, confidence is high. It's a young group and with a young group, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, inexperience might actually be a good thing uh, in the sense of not, you know, of just being like, hey, just go for it. Let's just go for it and see what happens. Uh, that type of mentality and with a result on Monday kind of helps that yeah. level of mentality out. Um, uh, and um, in the United States in March, we have what is called March Madness, which is a big, huge college basketball tournament where pretty much anyone can beat anybody on any given, any given night. And, you know, many years ago, uh, there was a team in a final that, you know, only no one knew anything about except people that lived in Philadelphia. And they were playing probably the strongest, best team ever put together in college basketball history. And you know, and then ended up going on the court and found a way to win. That team was Villanova and they beat a team called Georgetown. Uh, and that was uh, what catapulted college basketball in the United States was that upset. 
I feel the same thing similarly. It's like, you know, this is a powerful Chelsea team, but this is a team that um, this Bristol side is coming together at the right time and the right place and the right moment. So it ends a final. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think actually this this side is kind of starting to remind me of the Bristol Academy side of the like 2011, um, 2012 season, 12, 13 season, which really was a team in the, it was more than the sum of its parts. There's some great individuals in there, but there was there was confidence, there was quality. That was the word that kept on coming up on Monday night when to describe the the performance and the goals, quality, quality, quality. Mm. And I think that is something that is starting to happen when you see a group gel together, the the parts start understand they understand how to play with each other, how to get the best out of each other. And they they're really fighting for each other. So yeah, it could it could happen. Um, and just saying it could even make it happen to, to quote Kate Bush. Um, which I often like to do. Um, but just let's hope it's a good game and mm. ultimately that it's a, a good show showcase for women's football because that's still um, mm -hmm. a battle that needs to be um, had, mm. unfortunately. So, and I, Go ahead, Rob. I would say my sort of final thing on it as well is that the other interesting subplot to it is that Bristol are a team that can come into it and play without expectation mm -hmm. because team you know people everyone a lot of neutrals are going to be supporting a lot of you know wsl sort of neutrals will be tuning in and they will want to see chelsea get you know giant killed and i'm well aware of that i've had plenty of people in my dms over the last couple of days telling me that you know they can't wait to see it to get giant killed on sunday but it's that element of being what we really interesting is how chelsea can play with that pressure because we saw them play with a different kind of pressure being down to 10 players a couple of weeks ago against atletico and thrived against it but this is a totally different kind of way. You are completely the favourite and people will be expecting Chelsea to go out and not only win, but put in a performance to show why they are better. And that can sometimes be a really difficult thing. Now, I will say I'm less worried about that because of the strong characters and the mentalities of the players that we have in the squad. And also the fact that we've got Emma Hayes, who I think, you know, is the best manager in WSL, arguably the best women's manager in world football and she will not let arrogance and complacency become a thing but having to play with that expectation in a cup final is something you know some of these players won't have had it before and last year against Arsenal the important thing the big thing was we were the underdogs going into it because although we were top of WSL at the time Arsenal were defending the trophy there was the we'd never won the Conti Cup we'd been poor against Arsenal and it was sort of that result that inverted the pyramid somewhat and again gave Emma that you know big step up over Joe Montemurro and since then he's sort of had that complex where he just can't seem to get near Emma Hayes and whatever sort of happens as typified by that amazing game last year at Wheatshift Park um, and also the games earlier this season where they played really well and yet still couldn't beat us even though we played probably the worst 90 minutes of the season and then the game a couple of weeks ago where we toyed with them for a half and then unleashed Penilla Harder. Yeah, and I think I agree about Emma Hayes being like one of the best managers in in you know world football, women's football, world football. I just think she's amazing. I have so much respect for her. I just I, I think she's just wonderful. And uh, I, I actually really like Chelsea as well. They're probably my favourite top team in the WSL just because you've got such great players, and um, Emma Hayes as well, just fantastic. I wish you know how how brilliant would it be to support a team that has Emma Hayes as your manager? It's just great. So whatever it happens, brilliant. I can confirm. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I wish I wish I lived your life, but um, <laughs> that was that your football life. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. on that note, uh, I really wish both your teams, both your clubs, the best of luck in this cup final that is coming up uh, on Sunday uh, afternoon in the U.S. It will be at 1030 in the morning on Eastern time, 730 out in L.A., California uh, and so forth. The, um, Rob, this was absolutely uh, gigantically beautiful and brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us at England is burning for today. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having 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 me here. And it's lovely to, to be on with, with Rob and to meet you, Keith. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. And so, y'all, smash a like on the video channel.
please subscribe. Please subscribe to the video channel. Also know that this is on uh, all podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify and a bunch of other platforms I've never, ever, ever heard of before. Also subscribe, tell a friend. The biggest thing that has happened with this video channel and this podcast is word of mouth. Our budget for advertising is next to zero. Actually, it's probably in negative numbers now. So, but this podcast has grown exponentially. This video channel has grown exponentially in the US and abroad. Uh, and it's been mostly by word of mouth. Please tell a friend, if you like what you see, you like what you hear, please tell a friend about what we have to offer here at England is Burning and so forth. Coming up next week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we're back with weekly features, interesting things happening. Uh, we got Chelsea coming up on Sunday, Monday, United, Monday, City, and Tuesday, Arsenal, uh, and to kind of do updates uh, on those on our weekly features. For today, this is the 12th of March, Friday. We are ending for today, but remember that the light is out there. Remember that it, let it embrace you, let it become part of you. Also recognize, acknowledge that the darkness is also out there as well, but please, whatever you do, please do not let it hug you. But if it does, please reach out, get help, get support, take care of yourself, take care of each other. And England is burning, is out for today and thank you very much for watching and listening